We are going to be back in 1 Corinthians tonight, and the place that I want to start is to, is to reason with you that if we're honest in our own hearts, that we all really have a desire to be somebody, that each one of us has this longing to be recognized, to be noticed, to um, be appreciated, to be someone. William James, um, the famous philosopher and general thinker, said, mankind's common instinct for reality always held the world to be essentially a theater for heroism. A theater for heroism. A place to make a name for yourself. That that's the way we view the world in which we live. So being a hero, there's a lot of different ways to be somebody. A lot of culturally conditioned and accepted ways to be somebody with your life. One is to get rich, to make a lot of money or to have power or Particularly in our culture, it's to, to have fame, to be celebrated, to be noticed, to be recognized. Or maybe in this city, one is to have wisdom or advanced levels of learning or knowledge to make ourselves someone. And a lot of us spend and expend a lot of energy trying to scale the heights of these different paths to becoming somebody. Especially, I would say, here in the city of Boston, a lot of people come to this city to make a name or to begin to make a name or a career for themselves that would somehow justify their existence to the watching world or perhaps just to themselves. I trust I'm not alone in, in knowing this drive and desire. This is something that I know I experience in a very personal way and I trust that many of you do as well. And my thought is if, if this is a standard human issue for you and for me, if this is something that we all wrestle with regardless of our culture, or our, our moment in history, then the, the question is, how do we as the church handle this quest, this desire to be someone? How do we interface with this issue of our world? Those of us who claim to have life in Jesus, how is it that we interface with this longing to be someone? In 1 Corinthians 1, this is the issue that Paul is wrestling with with this young church about five years old in the city of Corinth a happening seaport town in ancient Greece. This is the issue that he's wrestling with. This young church is trying to become somebody in their cultural context, to gain social and or cultural status by having access to this thing called wisdom, Sophia. We looked at this two weeks ago. They're trying to grow in this cultural value of having special possession of knowledge and being able to articulate, articulate that in a rhetorically uh, interesting way. This was the thing that was the thing to be in Corinth. These were the movie stars and the professional athletes. And this quest, this desire to be somebody, was beginning to cause divisions in this young church, as we focused on about a month ago. And Paul's point in dealing with this issue with the young church in Corinth is to say that, you know, God's way of recreating and of rescuing his people in his image through the cross of Jesus Christ, that this way of rescue, the cross of Jesus, actually renders these well-trodden paths for greatness or to become somebody to be misguided, misappropriated, misplaced. He says it in verse 20 that in the cross, God has made foolish the wisdom of the world. So if the whole world is telling you to go and be somebody in this particular way, it's the cross that comes back and rebukes that and says, no, actually, that is not wisdom, that is folly, and undermines the wisdom that the world gives to us. And so 
that's the assertion that Paul has made in verses 18 through 25. We get to verse 26, and verses 26 through 31, Paul is now, as a good debater, going to illustrate this point that he's making to the young church in Corinth and say, now let me show you exhibit A in the case for the fact that the cross of Jesus has actually undermined the wisdom of the world and the way that the world says that you should have life. And what you're trying to do, Corinth, is try to get more life, to become greater by virtue of pursuing these gods of this age. And I want to show you that the cross has undermined all of that. And so he gives them this sign. What he says would be exhibit A in his case in the courtroom in saying that the cross actually does change everything. And the sign is simply this. It's the community in Corinth of Christians. He says, look at yourselves. You are the sign that God has given to prove the point that the cross has subverted every human value. Look at yourselves. You are basically, he says in verse 26, consider your calling. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. You weren't wise. You weren't powerful. You weren't prestigious. You weren't born to the right family. In fact, most of you, and he loves them, by the way, as he's saying these things, but most of you are basically nobodies in a world where people are trying to be somebody. You're not in the right crowd. You're not a member of the country club. You don't have a lot of wealth in your bank account. You don't have a lot of extras that the world would say are valuable things to have. You are basically nobodies. But then you get this interesting phrase multiple times, but God, verse 27, but God chose you what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are. God chose you. A sheer act of God's grace, His abundant mercy and grace, came out and chose you and called you and made you His own. Verse 30 says, He is the source of your life, where your life in Christ Jesus is a gift from Him. A gift from this God of the universe who has made Christ our wisdom and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. Christ, the crucified Messiah, is God's wisdom to make you a somebody that you always wanted to be. By virtue of bringing redemption from your sins, by bringing rescue to the captives of sin, of the slaves to sin, by virtue of setting you apart now for a special purpose out of the regular lump of stuff in the world, God has called you and pulled you out of that to be something special, set apart, sanctified for His purposes. And He's given you this status before Him to be in right relationship with Him of righteousness, to be in a covenant relationship with the one true God. This is the only way to have truly human life is this way that God has provided by His sheer act of grace in your lives, young church in Corinth. This is how you have life. And God has done it by virtue of His grace, set upon you a bunch of nobodies in the city of Corinth. And He did this. He started His revolutionary, recreative work in the world with a group of nobodies like you. Why? Verse 27 and 28. To shame those who are wise. To shame those who are strong. To bring to nothing those things that are everything in you in your city, Corinth. Those things that get all the accolades and the honors and the awards and the press and the attention. 
all of those things that the world around you says are so important, God started with you. God chose you. People of low estate. People without lots of letters behind your name. People with not much in your bank account. God chose you to make a point, to illustrate the reality that the cross of Christ does show us that God undermines all the values, the pomp, and the circumstance of the world around you. God started with you. You are the first exhibit of this truth that the cross of Christ changes everything. And that therefore those who glory in their status, those who glory in being somebody in the world are actually missing the mark. They glory in things that to their shame do not bring life but actually bring greater diminishment, greater slavery, greater um, poverty of soul. Those things that the world around you says will bring you much comfort, much life, much peace, much joy. Those things, instead of things to boast about, instead of things to glory in, instead of things to expend yourselves on day after day after day, those things are actually your liabilities. And yet you, Corinth, are beginning to make them your pursuit. You're starting to run after these things just like everybody around you. And yet those things become chains that bind you. Paradoxically. And keep you from the one thing that can give you life. The purpose of this sign, Paul says in verse 29, the purpose of the sign of this community is simply so that no flesh can boast before God. God did it this way in His great wisdom. So that no one, no man and no woman could actually stand before God and say, I have a right to you, God. I have claims upon you. Look at how great I am. Like the Pharisee in Luke chapter 18 versus the tax collector who says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. God chose you, the nobodies in Corinth, so that no one, no flesh could ever say, I've got a claim upon you, God. Because there is absolutely no mistaking the fact that this young church in Corinth would have been mocked and scorned if they had even been taken notice of by the well-to-do people of their culture. They probably weren't even noticed, but if they had been noticed, they would have been the laughingstock of those who were important and significant and well-to-do in the city of Corinth, for the most part. But God started with them so that no one could boast before the Lord. All of our self-assertion melts before the flame of God's presence. It's not by worthiness. There's no mistaking it with you, Corinth. But it's by the grace of God and the folly of the cross and the folly of Christ crucified that God has chosen you to become the center of His new work in the world. And He's given you true wisdom to have true human life in the way that everybody else is seeking after it but not finding it, running up a dead-end alley. He's given you true wisdom, which is to live in accordance with the way of the world that God has made. And there is no wisdom apart from being in relationship with the God who made the world. God chose you so that no one can boast. And then Paul goes on to say in verse 31, Therefore, as it is written, and this is a quote out of Jeremiah 9, which we had read tonight, Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let the one who boasts not boast in his degrees or her career path or popularity or GPA. Let us not boast in those things 
that are the status of this world, the things that make us significant in the eyes of the world around us. But let us boast in the Lord. Let us glory in the Lord. You know, Augustine wrote the famous book, The City of God. And he talks about a heavenly city and an earthly city. And he contrasts these two cities. And he says this about them in book 14. At the end of book 14, he says, The one city lifts up its head in its own glory. The other city says to its God, You are my glory, the lifter up of my head. In God's kingdom, in God's world, for for true life to be found, there is no place for human pride. This great danger to the human soul. Jonathan Edwards says, Pride is the worst viper that is in the heart. And C.S. Lewis said, Pride is the complete anti-God state of mind. Pride, which says, I am somebody relative to everybody else around me. I am somebody relative to lesser somebodies or to nobodies. That's what pride says. Versus humility, which says, God is the only somebody in the universe. And before God, everybody is a nobody, equally as much a nobody. And the only way to be a somebody is to be grafted into the life of God by virtue of the death of His Son on the cross and the sheer act of His grace to welcome us into His life. That's the only way that you can become someone in the world that God has made. Now, our world tells us otherwise, but what Paul is saying to this young church is quit fooling around, quit running after the wisdom of the world, quit trying to be somebody according to the world's ways, and embrace the somebody that God has made you by virtue of His loving grace and forgiveness and rescue and redemption in Jesus, the one who was crucified. Embrace that identity. Embrace the somebody that God has made you. That is the only way. And that is what it means to truly be humble, is to consider ourselves nothing before the Lord. So let me just ask you, do you feel weak? Insignificant? Do you feel like you're a failure, perhaps relative to your peers, or maybe just before your own standards? Do you feel like maybe you're the most needy person compared to the people around you? Maybe that you don't have it all together? Then I want to say to you, rejoice. I mean that really, rejoice. In the Christ who accepts you. Who welcomes you. Who came for people just like you. People who don't need to be fixed on the greatest values of our age or don't need to be the rising star or the recipient of all the world's honors and awards. Christ has come to love you, to welcome you. And his love is there for you in the depth of your need and in the depth of your blindness and the depth of your feeling like a nobody and insignificant and perhaps like a great failure. And so we run to him if that describes you. On the other hand, do you feel important? Do you feel significant? Do you feel like you're a real influencer of others, a real winner in the world? We need to recognize that the things which make us feel that way are actually, in fact, liabilities to our soul rather than assets. The things which make us begin to puff ourselves up relative to others to make us seem like we're more important or more significant or just a little better off are not things that we should celebrate, but things that we should repent of. As we sang already tonight, all that he, all the fitness he requireth is to feel your need of him. This is what God is asking for. 
So let me close by just applying this in three ways to our lives. Those of us who live in a world where we're desperately trying to be somebody or to be heroic, to be the hero. The first thing to say is that this teaching of Paul's to the young church in Corinth should lead us to a complete disinvestment in trying to become somebody according to the ways of the world. Where is it that you're trying to justify your own existence? I don't venture to think that most of us in this room are people who go around touting our accomplishments and bragging about our gifts and telling everybody just how great we are. Because actually, socially, that's, there's a stigma for people like that. Nobody likes somebody who goes around and tries to parade their virtues or their gifts. But I do wonder deep down in your heart for a moment, what is it that makes you feel okay? Not something that you would share with everybody else, but maybe something that, you know, if you didn't have that, you might feel a little bit second class. A little bit behind the game. It's that thing. It's that thing that we need to lay down before the Lord. And to say, you know what, God, I've been trying to make something of myself. I'm still trying to make something of myself. And in so doing, I've been rejecting the very person that you have made me by your gift. And by your grace. I've been resisting that grace. I've been trying to build my own tower all the while that you've come to rescue me and to give me life. So the first way of applying what Paul says here to Corinth is to say, let's disinvest from the the pursuit of trying to be someone in our world. According to the world's standards. I do want to say that as we've done that, then we can, and only then, can we then take up those pursuits that God has rightfully called us to and use them in a way that glorifies Him and in a way that honors and pleases Him, but not in a way that tries to build ourselves up to be someone. It's a huge distinction there that requires, I think, a tremendous amount of discernment in our own hearts to delineate between the one or the other. And where are we before the Lord? The second application is to rejoice in fullness of the truly human life that we have in Christ. Verse 30, that He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus. What Paul is saying to young Corinth is, look, you've got everything you need already. You're already fully alive in Jesus. Why are you turning from this glorious, radiant sunshine before you and taking up a flashlight without, bar- without batteries that even work? Why are you trying to exchange this glory for, for this minimal thing? You've taken your eyes off. And so the second thing I want to encourage you, and I want to encourage you to do this this week, is to gaze upon Jesus as your life and to glory in the fact that God has given you full life with nothing held back. You're not missing out on anything, even if you fail out of your course next semester. Or if you get fired next week. Truly, you're not missing anything. If you're in Christ Jesus, you have everything for life. Surely the Corinthians have begun to to be distracted and to turn to something else. We can have a tremendous peace 
in the gift of God in Christ Jesus for ourselves, for us to be full and alive. And then after we have that peace, we can pursue all of those things that God has called us to in his service and in his worship. The third thing that I want to encourage you to in this week ahead I'm not sure this is something that we do a whole lot of in our day and culture where, I don't know, I think sometimes we're just quite casual before the Lord. We take our Christian lives quite casually, but I want to encourage you to magnify and to delight in the God who is there and the God who loves you and the God who has given his son for you on the cross. So the second point of application is to, to glory in the fact of the gift that he has given you. This third application is to say, to glory in the giver. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Practice boasting in the Lord this week in your own heart and in your own soul to give thanks for all that God is, for all that he's given to you, for the life that he's poured out upon you by his Son, through his Holy Spirit, and to glorify him. That's what it means to boast in the Lord. If you've got anything to go out and to rejoice in and to to show off to the world, it's God. And it's the God who loves you so much that he gave himself for you. That's what Paul says. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Stop boasting in these petty things, these things that the world says are important, and start rejoicing in the God who has given you everything, who gives you life and life to the fullest. You know, one of the things that I did last week in Colorado Springs, which is my hometown, is I went and drove through with Mandy through the neighborhood of Mountain Shadows where the fire um, catastrophically took out about 350 homes. And it was sobering to see such destruction um, in fire. I mean, just, just, just foundation, slabs of concrete as foundations all around. And you know, the thing that we saw repeatedly throughout the neighborhood were sheets, bed sheets with spray paint on them, signs all around the neighborhood of the homes that have been saved that said, thank you, first responders. Thank you, firefighters. Thank you for saving our homes. In the midst of this destruction, here were these moments of salvation, and they gave thanks to those who had protected them. There was nobody that said, I'm so awesome, my my home is still standing. You know, there was one guy out watering his yard in the midst of just a, a wasteland of foundations. No, thank you, to those who came to the rescue. Praise be to those who came to the rescue. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. You have been rescued. You have been given the most tremendous gift that you could ever be given in your life. Why then would we turn and start to glory in the things that we have been given? And those things that have been done for us are given to us. Instead of glorying in the one who has come to our aid in such a profound and worldly wisdom shattering kind of way, he's come to our rescue. To glory in him. And not in the stuff that the world says makes me a somebody. Everybody wants to be a hero. There's only one way to be somebody. In God's world. And Paul says to the church in Corinth, and he says it to us in Boston in the 21st century, stop trying to be somebody. Accept the somebody that God has made you. And glory in him with all that you've got in this week ahead. Amen.